you weren't here earlier, where Jessica mentioned during announcements, that we're fasting in February, so it's starting tomorrow and going through the 27th, breaking the fast on the 28th, which is a Sunday. Um, there's, we're fasting as a, as a body for the purpose of we're mainly asking God to fill us up with the Holy Spirit, full and overflowing. If you're full of the Holy Spirit, then you've got everything you need. <laughs> you've got wisdom, revelation, understanding, power, love, peace, joy, faithfulness, goodness, the whole fruits of the Spirit, righteousness, and uh, you've got boldness. And I remember one time I was, this guy was preaching on the spirit of boldness. And I was like, oh man, well, I want this. What's the key here? And I thought it was like some secret of the kingdom. And he's just like, you just got to be full of the Holy Spirit. He's, he's the bold one. And I was like, okay. And then the Lord's teaching me about wisdom. And he's like, Travis, wisdom's listening to the one who has wisdom. And Proverbs, it says, Don't, no one should think they are wise. <laughs> and so we are, you're always keeping your ear, listening to the one who has wisdom. But it all comes from being full, overflowing with the Holy Spirit. When they were selecting, uh, you know, guys to, like Stephen, to be in charge of certain things, it says, you know, find a guy who's full of wisdom and of the Spirit. They said that of Stephen. They said that it was said of Barnabas. He's a man full of faith, full of the wisdom, full of the spirit. And so it's, it's important that we cultivate that. We ask God. It's a faith thing, just like we, um, when we forgive somebody, when we pray for healing, whatever, everything in God's kingdom ties in the faith. And so some mornings you may wake up and, yeah, you know, you're not really wanting to be awake yet, but you got to go to work and you just say, Holy Spirit, fill me up. And you may not feel any goosebumps, but that's not the point. You're, you're saying, you're de declaring your need to be, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So, you know, different types of fasts, uh, a no food fast, you know, which is liquids only, a partial fast, you could skip a meal out of the day. You could have a particular diet, you know, like a Daniel fast, um, cut out sugar, whatever. Media fast, social TV, video games, etc. And I talked about the Daniel fast. And so what the, uh, the fasting does, Nothing for God, but it does everything for us. And so when the Pharisees were ridiculing Jesus, they're like, your disciples don't even fast. We fast our tails off. And our disciples fast. But you and your disciples don't even fast. But Jesus did fast. They just didn't see him in the desert. But his disciples weren't fasting. And he said, you can't put new wine in old wineskins. This was Jesus' response to their accusation. He says, you have to put new wine in new wineskins. So how does the new wine relate to fasting? Well, it means that when you fast, you're not, I used to believe it's like, man, I, I, need, I really need this. So I got to really convince God to do this for me, so I'm going to fast. He, he, I got to really tug on him hard. And that's not the way he works. He wants thing, He wants things that are of him and in his will more than you want them. He wants you to flow in all of that stuff, the, the fruits of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the, the love and, and the power of the Lord. And so it doesn't do anything for God. He's already, his mind and heart are already made up towards you. What it does for you is it creates a new wineskin in you to be able to receive what God wants to do in you. It kind of makes room for more of the Lord. And so, but if he tried to put new stuff in you, in an in old Travis, I would explode. I would die. And so he, God, sometimes he um, takes you even through pruning and, and, uh, and those types of things because your gifting could kill you if it doesn't have the character to, to walk with it. And so fasting is an intentional way of humbling yourself as well. And so it's, it's a, Jesus said, when, the bride, when you don't have the bridegroom, then you will fast. Well, Jesus is currently at the right hand of the Father. Holy Spirit is God on earth, representing Father and Jesus. We still get to talk to all three of them. But until Jesus comes back, he says, we're now in that season of where we fast in order to uh, receive more of him. So that's what we're doing in February. It's simple. Ask the Lord to fill you full of the Holy Spirit, and you'll get, everything, you'll get what you need. 
but we want to be a people that move by the Spirit, that, that follow the wind of the Spirit, and are full of the Spirit. This morning, um, I want to talk about Psalm 23. This is one of my favorite psalms, and uh, it's probably it's a well-known psalm. A lot of people know it. I pray this over my kids often uh, because it's one I have memorized. It. Like I told you a few weeks ago, I said I often pray when I'm tucking my kids in the bed. I'll, sometimes I just want to lay my head down beside them and fall asleep with them because I'm so tired. And so I don't have like a whole lot of strength and energy to have these, you know, come up with something great to pray over my kids. So I pray scripture that I already know over them. <laughs> and that's one reason why it's important, you know, to have scripture in your heart. But uh, this, is a, this is one that's near and dear to me. So let's uh, just read it together. This was a Psalm of David. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I memorized this in King James also when, at the time which was even more powerful. Yeah, I'm just, just teasing. It's not more powerful. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Woo! This whole psalm is actually a declaration. I've taught on declarations before, and uh, if you have any qualms about it, it's like, well, it's de- declaring biblical, this whole prayer is a declaration. David's not asking anything. He's declaring what the truth is. And so your declarations are powerful, but um, when I first uh, became a, well, I was saved at nine, walked the aisle, had a real conversion experience, and then walked away from God up until I was 23. And so when I, I call it 23 is when I surrendered to the Lord. And man, I was just like, I was tired of running. And so when I surrendered to the Lord, this was the very first scripture I memorized because it was familiar to me. I heard that growing up in church. You hear it preached about. It's, it's a well-known psalm. And so I memorized it. And uh, I used to watch a lot of horror movies and stuff growing up. And, and uh, I was fearful of, like, having my back to the shower with the shower curtain closed while I was using the bathroom if that fear thing got on me because I watched I was watching The Shining at like 10 years old Friday the 13th the whole trip the whole whatever Jason all uh, Nightmare on Elm Street all that kind of stuff not really good good stuff you know and so I had I would be you know taking the trash out at night our trash can was out in the middle of our woods. There's no lights out there, so I'd run out there, and I'd be, you know, <laughs> book it back to the house, man. And, uh, and I was like a teenager. So, so when I gave my life to the Lord, this, this spirit tried to rear its head in a more pronounced way. So I was uh, coming back home. I was living with my parents at the time. I was 23, and I uh, was walking through a house to, to turn off, to get to the back of the house and turn off all the lights in the front of the house. You got to turn the lights off first and then walk through pitch darkness to the back of the house, okay? So I did that, opened up the hallway door, and I felt something brush against my face, and I immediately it was like a fear just like touched me brushed it against his face. And I've only been walking with Jesus for like a month. So I don't know anything about my authority. I just don't really know anything. I just have Psalm 23. That's about it. And uh, I got in my bed, and there, I, could, I didn't see anything, but I could feel something at the foot of my bed. And it was, I was just like full of, of fear. And I just knew that something was in the room with me. And so... I just started praying Psalm 23. I just had, had the sheets up to my neck, and I was like, 
The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. And I would pray, I just would pray that over and over until I fell asleep. But every night for a week, this thing was at the foot of my bed. And then it left one day. It left. Now, I'll just, and it was just Psalm 23. Now, today, if something showed up at my bed, I'd just be like, you got to get out of here, man. You don't belong here. Get. Just because I know the authority I have in Jesus, I don't have to be afraid of a fear. And, um, and so, all I'm saying is like that, the power of God's word, even when you don't know what to do, is, is the best thing to have it. And, and so even um, I would, uh, when I would pray, this, and later on, like a few months after this, that's when I would pray and I would close my eyes, my, my thoughts would be tormented with very evil, perverse pictures of Jesus as I prayed. Because I had a, I had a history of pornography and the horror movies and all kinds of stuff. And so it was like tormenting my thoughts. Anytime I closed my eyes to pray, my thoughts would be tormented. And so I read Psalm 2 where it says, Arise, O my God, and defend me and break the teeth of the wicked. Because I knew it was the devil trying to torment me. And when you break somebody's teeth, they can't talk. They're like, oh, wait, wait. And so you... I was like, Lord, and I said, every night I would pray. Anytime I pray, I was like, arise, O oh God, and defend me. Break the teeth of the wicked. Break the teeth of the wicked. For two weeks, I would close my eyes and still have these thoughts. And then one day, boom, it was gone. And so Psalm 23, that's just a little of my history with it, but also just the power of, of praying God's word. And so this is kind of like a teaching today. This is not you know, more of a, a preaching type thing. There's a little bit of a difference. Last week, if you were here, that was kind of preaching. This week, this is more of teaching. But uh, I want to talk about Psalm 23 and kind of break it down and dissect it a little bit. But it says, um, you know, the Lord chose imagery of, of, a, of a good shepherd. And why did he do that? I mean, he could have been like the good king or, you know, he is a king. But there's many different images that he takes on but why did he even choose the shepherd he could have been like the lord is my carpenter the lord is my tax collector but why did he choose shepherd and so you know shepherding's meek it's dirty it's servant natured it's a hard job and there's a guy john sanford he said the gospel some people think the gospel looks like a ferrari all pretty and clean it's beautiful and it's good he says, but the gospel is actually a, tr a tractor in the middle of a field covered in dirt. Because you get in there and you've got to plow ground and you've got to, to love people. You've got to be even defiled by their issues, so to speak. And so you get dirt on you. Think about Jesus, pure and holy and righteous. And you had people just wanting something from him all the time. He's just like, oh, man. I mean, it's, you know, you get... He would just feel, a lot of us would go home and just be like, I'm taking a month off. I'm taking a month off. I can't take it anymore. But Jesus would go up to the mountain and pray and get refreshed by his father. And then the next day, people tugging on him, Jesus, Jesus, heal me, heal me, heal me. Jesus, over here. Five, you know, 5,000 people, you know, all. And in the moment he says, you got to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. They're like, we ain't doing that. And only the ones that, had a real revelation of him, followed. So why would God choose to use this image, imagery as a way of describing, describing himself? Because nothing's beneath his love. Nothing's too dirty, too extreme, or too lost for his love. Shepherding was not uh, this great job that you wanted to have in, in that day. It was like grave digging, ditch digging. It was hard work, little glory associated with it. But he, yeah, he chose to, to be a shepherd. I shall not want. So think about this statement. Have any of y'all heard this song by, that was on one thing, 2016? I shall not want. 
And I shall not want. Audrey Assad, go look it up. And so uh, this is like, this is huge for, for walking with the Lord. This one statement, I shall not want. So what would it be like to be completely content in need of nothing but the approval and affection of your heavenly father? You know, um, some of us, you've been wronged maybe by your parents. Maybe you've been wronged by people, friends, other family members. And if they came to you and just like begged forgiveness, it still wouldn't heal the pain. It might bring some closure, but it's like you need God to come into that space. The, the, the praise of man, even those that are dearly loved ones, cannot fill that hole in your heart that everybody has for, for God. And so no matter how bad you've been wronged, you've got to, the Lord has to meet that need. One person can't be like, can't meet that need. And even if they've wronged you, the forgiveness that they offer or ask for is going to keep you from being bitter, but it's still, you've got to have your heart healed by the Lord. What would it be like to be snare free from the approval, the praise, the fear of man? Because if you, if I'm living for approval from man, if this is, if like, oh yeah, I'll do this because that'll make you accept me. The moment they reject me, what's, if I'm living for that approval, what's going to kill me? The rejection. And man will reject you at some point because it's, we're imperfect. And so when you live for the, when you live for the approval or for the, the praise of man, you're going to die by the rejection or the fear of man. And so you cannot live by that. You know, easy, you know, some of it is even what people may think of you in worship or people may think of you when you, you present the gospel or even you claim to be a Christian. It's like, oh, you're a bigot. Uh, yeah, you're one of those bigoted Christians. Well, who's, whose opinion matters most? The Lord's or, or man's? What can man do to you? What can they do to you? They have no, man has no hold over your soul, over your eternal being. And so we fear the Lord and we honor him with our lives and, with, and, and only seek his approval and his love. He gave you approval when he hung his son on the cross for you. So therefore, I'm well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the same guy that was just saying, rejoice in everything. I tell you again, rejoice. Man, the fruit of the Spirit is righteousness, peace, and joy. This is the same guy, and he's just like, man, Paul had a really good life, a really intimate life, walking with Jesus, and yet weakness, insults, distresses, persecutions, difficulties, weakness, he was not uh, devoid of that. So those things does not mean is not an indicator of a good life. It just means that there is opposition <laughs> to your good life. And that you get to, and it's, those things push you into God. They push you into your spirit instead of fleshly Travis and the way I used to deal with things and the way you used to deal with things. Not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we, can take, we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. And so I believe God wants to prosper us. I believe that his government increases. I believe that Jesus had everything that he needed for ministry. He had people giving into his ministry. He... He was not in want, and, uh, but I also believe that part of that key was that he was content. You know, prosperity will kill you if you're not content to be before that. <laughs> it can de deter you from the Lord. So it's prosperity 
is not a bad thing. It's just like, are you content without it or not? And so even with this, so we brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. You come, you're leaving just like you came in into this world, naked. You're coming, you're leaving this world just like you came in. And so, and it's going to, it hits everybody. We heard, um, who was it was telling us, Hannah was telling us about uh, this family that she nannies for and one of the girls can't pronounce her R's and, and uh, she's, what did she say? It was like, everybody dies? Is that what she said? And she looked at Hannah and she said, you know, everybody dies. And Hannah was like, yeah, everybody dies. And, and then the little girl looked at her and was like, you's gonna die. And uh, he's like, well, yes, I am, you know, at some point. And um, it's true. And she said it with a big smile on her face, you know, just like little kids do. He's like, who's going to die? But, yeah, I mean, you're like, preach, little sister. And, um, and so it's, it doesn't matter. Everybody's going to stand before the Lord <laughs> with uh, not their 401Ks and stuff like that, but what they stewarded well. So green pastures, he makes me lie down in green pastures. So you cannot make sheep like lie down. You can't be like, all right, Junior, lie down right now. There's still water. They're, going, they're only going to lie down when they're satisfied with food and with where they're at. They're, they're very fragile animals. And so through God's goodness and provision, he gives us rest and peace and so we can choose to lie down in the accomplishments of the cross and the resurrection. In the Song of Songs, the bride is talking about sitting in the shade of the bridegroom's tree. So how many of you all know that Song of Songs is a uh, metaphor for Jesus and our relationship with him? We're the bride. He's the bridegroom. And so this, that image of sitting in the shade of the bridegroom's tree is sitting in, in the shade of the cross, sitting in the shade of what Jesus has done for us, resting in his accomplishments, not in your accomplishments, resting in his accomplishments, that he's defeated death, he defeated hell, and you get to taste of that. You get to be a partake of that. He leads us beside quiet waters. So sheep will only drink from still waters. And so back in the, uh, in the day, and even currently, what, what happens is shepherds say they got this 100-acre area that a few shepherds are, are pasturing their flock on, and there's a well-known watering hole. They'll all converge together at this watering hole, say at midday, and all their sheep will be drinking from the, the same watering hole. And there are, so the flocks are all mixed in together. There's one big herd now. And when it's time to go, the shepherd will, or he'll sing, a, he'll play a song on his flute, or he'll sing a song that's like, it's time to go, follow me. And so they, his, that shepherd's sheep will all be like, all right, uh, Obadiah's calling, we got to go. And so they, they go follow their shepherd, and, and separate themselves from the rest of the flock. But they know their shepherd's voice. And Jesus, I mean, he said that. He says, I'm the good shepherd. My sheep know my voice. And so they will follow the voice or the song of their shepherd. Has anybody, has anybody ever heard the Lord sing over them before? I bet you have, but you just, you may not recognize it. I've, I've heard the Lord sing over me. It's in the Bible. Zephaniah 3.17, he rejoices over you with singing. Ask the Lord, if you've never heard him sing over you, you say, Lord, sing a song over me. You have not because you ask not. So just say, Lord, I want to ha hear you sing over me. And then just wait to get blasted. There's a story of an orphan shepherd boy in Palestine in the 1930s. There, was, there were riots that were happening. And the state uh, basically took everybody's cattle, everybody's sheep, and sequestered them, and the people could buy them back for a price. 
Somehow this orphan shepherd boy had gotten the money to be able to buy back his sheep, which were like only five or six sheep. But they had all the sheep in this huge pen. And it was uh, the British government had, was in control. And uh, so the orphan boy is like, I'm, I'm here to get my sheep. And he's like, all right, pay up. He paid up. And uh, the, guy, the British officers were kind of laughing at him. I was like, yeah, I'd like to see you try to find your sheep. And he did his little song. He's like, follow me. And they, they broke out. The six sheep came out, and they were just like, David's here. And so it's, it's that way. There's, you know, sometimes the Lord, he's calling you out of the rest of the world, you know. You know, be, be separate from the world. Don't, don't remove yourself from it. But you're not of the world. That's not your DNA. You're in the world, but not of it. And it's, it's the same thing with the, the sheep. He's like, he calls you out. You hear his voice. And the moment he tells you to go, you go. You move when the shepherd's voice tells you to move. It's intimacy. He restores my soul. This is more accurately translated, he brings me back. It's more of a picture of repentance. And so you got, you know, sheep aren't the smartest animal in the world. And we're, we're very, we're like sheep sometimes. We're, we have foolish ideas. We rebel and uh, we wander away. And it says just the Lord brings us back. And so it's that act of repentance. You, repentance is changing your mind about something instead of being like, you know what? I'm going to go over here. It looks like there's some green stuff over here. It looks good to eat. I'm going to try my, I'm going to venture out from the herd. And then you realize like there's a pack of wolves surrounding you. And so bringing back means changing the way we think. He's like, you know what? It's good to be under the shepherd. It's good to be under his watch. And so that bringing back is, is repentance is a changing your mind the way you think about something. It can also be remorse for your sin, but it's also not only that, but changing your mind. So once sheep know they're lost, they'll hide themselves under a bush and they'll bleat for help. So they, they, they realize they're lost, they get under a bush and they're just like, ah, ah. now the, the bad thing is the shepherd, the shepherd can hear them, but so can all the predators. And so they start, they start moving towards the bleeding. Once the sheep is found, it's usually too traumatized to walk which is interesting. I told you, sheep are fragile. They're too traumatized to walk and they must be carried across the back of the shepherd back to the village. And so you just see, I have the shepherd with the sheep across his back. There's pictures of, of, you know, that you've probably seen where the shepherd's carrying the sheep across the back. And so, like I said, why did that sheep get lost? Did it wander away from the community of sheep? Did it get distracted? Did it think it knew a better way home? And so that community of sheep, that flock, and being under a shepherd and an authority under your father, your heavenly father's authority is a protection. It's a guard. It's a safe place. It doesn't mean that you're not an individual anymore. God loves, he's so creative that he's made billions and billions and billions of uniquely unique people. There's never been one person created over again. He keeps creating it. Isn't that mind-boggling? That there's, he just keeps making somebody unique. And so, um, have you ever have you ever been in that place where you feel like your own strength has been drained? You don't have any strength anymore. You need somebody to pick you up, put you on the shoulders, and carry you. How many of you have ever been there? And so he's, he is a good shepherd, and he does that. Romans 2, 4 says, Do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? That's how the Lord brought me back home, brought me back to the place of surrender, because I would be out partying, doing whatever. I'd get back in my car, and I would feel, could tell the Lord was in the car. He was like in the passenger seat. And I would yell at him. I was like, leave me alone. Stop it. Leave me alone. Because I would get, I was so convicted of my life. It was, uh, 
it was, I was miserable because I was in that in-between place. I was like, Lord, I kind of still want to do my own thing, but I want all the benefits. I want you to save me when I need saving, but, was, but then over here, let me do my own thing. And he just doesn't work that way. He told me, he's like, Travis, I'm not going to give you any freedom until you give me all of you. And so it has to, even my, I had to be willing to lose friends. I had to be willing to live a different life. You know, I didn't actually, didn't lose friends, but I, the friends I had weren't the ones that were, I was getting life from, so to speak. It wasn't where I was saturating my, myself. Deuteronomy chapter 1 says, The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight on your behalf, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes, and in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you, just as a man carries his son, and all the way which you have walked until you came to this place. It's a beautiful picture. Even in their stiff-neckedness, even in their, you know, rebellion, the Lord still carried them like a son. He still loved them like a son. That's a good father. That is a good father. And he's like that for us. It's like, there's been times where I've just like been on the floor in our living room. I was like, God, I cannot do this. I cannot. God, will you, I was like, God, please like, deliver me. Will you carry me? Will you just pick me up, Father? And he comes. He comes. The path of righteousness. He leads me down the path of righteousness for his namesake. So in the open wilderness of the Holy Land, there's lots of different paths out in the, in the, in the pasture. Not all of those paths led, led home. But the shepherd knew which one led home, and so he, he knows the right path. And so there's many times in your life where you got, to, uh, you got a lot of different choices. And the Lord is going to direct you uh, no matter where you go as long as you're leaning into him. But the Lord's like, you know what? This is probably a wiser path. Let's go this way. And, uh, and he leads you because he knows the way home. And the good shepherd acts out of his own integrity in leading the sheep. He's not a bad shepherd. He's a good shepherd. It says, for his namesake. He leads you down the path of righteousness for his namesake. He's, he's got his name attached to you. He's got his name attached to you. It says you bear his name. And so he, he's done everything in his power, which is, again, Jesus on the cross to make sure that you have a way home. So there's an actual, the valley of the shadow of death, there's actually a literal valley of the shadow of death in Palestine. And this valley is about, it's not what we think of as a valley, like Hidden Valley Ranch. It's not that type of valley. It's dry. It's jagged rocks. It's five miles long, and it's very narrow. At the widest place, it's only 12 feet wide. And so you take the length of my arms, and double that. And that's how wide it is in the widest place. But there's, there's many places in that valley of the shadow of death where you're, it's so narrow, you, the sheep can't even turn around, and they're having to go one by one through the valley. And, it's, it, and it overhangs. The rock is high above their head, and in some places, the rocks join in together to create a shadow over you where the sun can't even get in. Well, first of all, the embankment's so high that it's hard for the sun to get in, but even the rocks can even almost join together overhead. And so it's a very vulnerable place. Bandits would wait out there. You can't turn around. I mean, so if you're, it's really, you got to, once you get in there, you got to go through. And so the devil, he's got a, the shadow of death is, is a smoke and mirrors. It's the shadow of death. It's not the valley of death. It's the valley of the shadow of death. Because you think you're going to die. And sometimes that's the Lord's intention. God doesn't want, necessarily want to heal you as much as he wants to kill you. Does that make sense? Because he wants... So, I'm going to break this down for you a little bit. So, you got body soul and spirit that you're made up of okay your soul is kind of like your old man old fleshly travis 
And then your spirit man is what's been regenerated and made new by the Holy Spirit. And so that old fleshly Travis has to die. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. It is he who lives in me. And so when you bring, when you deny yourself and you go through the pain of dying in some ways, that, that spirit man that looks like Jesus gets to shine through. And so sometimes that's where did Gideon go to get the prophetic word over his life that changed the way he looked at him and his army? God had reduced his army down to 300, and Gideon was still scared to face this army of, uh, it was like 45,000 guys. And the Lord's like, Gideon, I've got a word for you. He's like, yeah, Lord, I need one. He's like, but you got to go down into the enemy's camp to get it. And so he snuck into the enemy's camp, and outside one of the tents, he heard two soldiers. He's like, man, I had a dream last night. It was just loaf of barley rolling down a hill. And then his, his bunkmate was like, dude, that's the sword of Gideon. I don't, how did they get that? I, don't, I have no idea. He's like, dude, that's the sword of Gideon. Gideon's outside the tent. He's like, yeah, we got this. And then he goes, they get, they don't even have swords. They got like trumpets and jar clays, clays of jar, whatever. And, uh, (laughs) and so, uh, they defeat the enemy. God confuses the enemy. They kill themselves and they win. But it's because Gideon heard that word, but he had to go in to like the hot zone He had to, like, face the fear. You can't overcome anything you're not willing to confront. And so you got to, like, when you're like, man, yeah, just, (laughs) I know I got this this character flaw, but I'm just going to, it's okay. I mean, I just ask people to forgive me. It's just, I got to live with it. No, if it doesn't look like Jesus, you don't have to live with it. And so you... You take those things to God. You're like, all right, God, you know what? I'm, I'm horrible at this, and I need help. And I know you don't shame me because I'm horrible, currently horrible at this, but I, I need help. God, I tend to get in this pattern of thinking. God, I tend to do this particular sin. I, I need help. You got to look at it in the eyeball and call it what it is. And excuse-making is just going to leave you right where you are in that thing. Anything that overcomes you, the Bible says, is you're a slave to that thing. Anything that overcomes you, you are a slave to that thing. So I want to be overcome by Jesus. I want to be overcome by a good king who serves me, who loves me, who knows what's best for me, who's got the best in mind for me, who knows how my life will prosper, who knows how, what, what goodness and mercy and, and, and joy and peace look like in my life. But the fear makes things feel real. And you, like I said, you can't overcome something you don't confront. Sheep are defenseless. They're not fast. They're not strong. They're not that smart. Their only protection comes from the shepherd. Deuteronomy 4.7 says, For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as is the Lord our God whenever we call on him? God is near. He's a very present help in time of trouble. Your rod and your staff to comfort me. So the rod, sometimes I, I used to think of the rod as was similar to like a staff. It was like this long javelin type thing. But it's actually more like a club or a mace. It's like a baseball bat with a fat end on it. And so this was what they used to, def- the shepherd used to defend the sheep from lions and bears. And, uh, I mean, they were just bludgeon the animal to death. And it was used, obviously, for protecting the sheep. And so this, um, the rod also represents authority, represents power. The staff is what you typically think, think of as the long staff the shepherd could lean on. It's got a little hook in it. If a sheep fell off a ledge and was dangling, he could take the nook of that, that staff, 
reach around it and pull it back up, rescue it. And so the same word that's used for comfort, your rod and your staff comfort me, is used 41 times for the word repentance. It says your rod and your staff bring me to repentance. Think about it that way. Your rod and your staff bring me to repentance. And so there's times like when the, when the uh, sheep are getting out of line, he may take his staff and be like, no, no, you're getting off the way. And the rod he used every night, he would count the sheep. He'd, he'd hold the rod down. They had to walk under his rod one by one. They had to be under authority daily. They would walk through that. And he would count them off by them walking under his rod. And so when you, uh, I say this to say you, everybody needs healthy authority in their life. Everybody needs, another way to put it is everybody needs fathers and mothers. Paul said you have 10,000 teachers, but you don't have many fathers. And there's protection, there's guidance, there's wisdom in being under covering. You need to be covered. You're not a lone ranger. You need to be in part of a community. You need to be a part of having fathers and mothers, mentors in your life that care about you, that love you, that will even tell you hard things at times that you may not like. In Hebrews 12, it says, discipline in the moment when it first happens is sorrowful. But in the end, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Nobody likes being disciplined, you know. In the end, I remember when I was in seventh grade, <laughs> me and my best friend, we were a little, being a little self-righteous, but we are like, man, I'm glad my parents spanked me. I, mean, I remember this conversation, so it was like, man, like, man, we see these spoiled brats over here. I'm glad my parents spanked me. Now, I'm not saying anything. If you don't like believing spanking, this is not what this is about. I'm just saying, like, man, I'm parent my dad. He whipped my behind if I did that. And so what it was was that I, I am thankful, you know, for the way my parents raised me. I raised my kids a little different from the way my parents raised me. But what that did was, like, I know, first of all, I knew my parents love me enough to say, hey, this is wrong. Secondly, it, it helped me respect authority. And so um, if, you, if nobody can tell you anything, you're going to live a lonely life. Jessica and I say, it's real lonely being right all the time. It's lonely being right all the time. And so the same word, like I said, used for repentance and there's actually comfort in repentance. The times where I've just been like repenting for judging somebody or, or asking the Lord to forgive me, I feel his presence. I feel his comfort. It's like a good place. There's no shame in that. There's no shame. There's only, we have our friend Laura Lobo says the, the, the only shame is not going to the cross. But there's no shame at the cross. There's no shame in bringing it to Jesus. He's not ashamed of you. That repentance thing is not like, oh, woe is me. Oh, sinful father. You know, it's just like, no, father, forgive me. He's like, yeah, I, f I forgive you. I forgave you a long time ago. And it says he, he actually remembers them no more. Praise God. So you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So the scene switches from shepherding a flock in the pasture to a, a feast or a banquet. All right? And then... So the examples in the scripture says is, uh, of this is like the prodigal son. The prodigal son comes back home. The father says, let's throw a party. Let's throw a banquet. And then Zacchaeus, in Luke chapter 19, Jesus had gone uh, into Jericho, and Zacchaeus was there, and he was a tax collector. And tax collectors had, uh, they were servants of the Roman government, and they were Jewish, and so the Jews looked at them as like, first of all, they were traitors. And then secondly, the tax collectors had free reign. They had a certain amount that they could collect from, for the Roman government, but they could also charge extra money and pad their pockets. And they had the backing of the Roman authority to do that. So that's why people hated tax collectors because they weren't just paying the Roman government. They were paying like whatever the guy in town wanted. So Zacchaeus was this guy. He was rich. It says he climbed up into a sycamore tree. Now, 
whatever reason, we don't know why, but something got Zacchaeus to a point of being so hungry for Jesus that he was willing to do something. So if you don't know, like Jewish culture, this is where this kind of stuff is really helpful, but he climbed up into a sycamore tree or what's more accurately translated, a fig mulberry tree. Now figs, this type of fig tree was what they fed pigs. What did Jews not eat? Pork. And so even they considered if you ate the figs off of this type of tree, that it was shameful or defiling. Zacchaeus didn't care. He, he climbs up into this tree, and they're like, look at this guy. He's, he's climbing up in a pig tree. He's in a pig tree. And, and Jesus knows this. And so he sees Zacchaeus in a pig tree. He's like, this dude's hungry. He's like, Zacchaeus, I'm having dinner with you tonight. And everybody in the town is just like, what? Just like, just imagine the gossip. He's like, Jesus, he's doesn't if he's a holy man, wouldn't he know these, this guy's a sinner? He's eating with Zacchaeus. We hate him. What did Zacchaeus do to deserve Jesus eating in his house? Jesus comes and eats with Zacchaeus. And just being in the presence of Zacchaeus. And just that act, when you eat with somebody, you break bread with them, you break, you, you dip your bread in a little saucer that has water and salt in it and that's a sign of forgiveness and that anything that was there between you any beef you had was forgiven it was done with because you're having a covenant of salt with that person and so they're sitting there and they're breaking bread and they're eating and everybody knows that Jesus is forgiving Zacchaeus by doing this and Zacchaeus's response was I'll give Half of everything I have to the poor and repay everybody I've ever taken from four times. Just because Jesus said, Zacchaeus, I love you. I forgive you. I'm not ashamed of you. Jesus was not ashamed of Zacchaeus. Jesus actually had to take shame upon himself to eat with Zacchaeus. Jesus, and that's what the gospel is. God took shame upon himself so you do not have to bear the shame. It says, cursed is he who hangs on a tree. He took the shame. It says Jesus took the cross, forsaking the shame. He didn't, he's like, this, it's a, I'll pay this price. The father, when the prodigal son came back home, he had to take the shame of the community. The community knew what he had done with his father. They knew that he had taken the inheritance, he had blown it, and his and father's welcoming him back. And so people are coming to the party out of respect for the father, but they're not rejoicing that the son's back home. And so the father, this is all happening. And the people are like, great, we're at this feast and this loser is back home. And the father took the shame of his son. He's like, no, you're back home. You're my son. You're not a slave. I'm reinstating you. So the Father and Jesus demonstrate costly love in both of these examples by taking shame upon themselves to love the prodigal son and Zacchaeus. When I was teaching school at Appalachia High School uh, back in 2002-2003 school year, the Lord, this, I was in pre-planning before school started, and the Lord said, you're going to have to take shame upon yourselves to love these kids. A lot of broken homes, very prevalent. And so I was in fourth period, and... Uh, I, I co-taught this particular class with another coach. And I think they're like, oh, they got two coaches in there. We'll just throw in every kid that has a behavior disorder in there. And, um, and that's what they did. Everybody had a, what's called an IEP. And it was, so they all had like some special, you know, some of them had disorders of different kinds. Some of them were learning disabled, which feeds into their bad behavior. It's just, it was just like this, it was a big hodgepodge of stuff. And um, like kids do, how many of y'all used to do this? Like you're bored in class and you're like, hey, can I go to the restroom? This was happening. And it was spreading like wildfire. So I had one kid was like, Mr. Coach Gay, can I go, can I go to the bathroom? Yeah, go ahead. Coach Gay, I gotta go too. All right, you got to wait for him to come back. Coach Gay, I, I got to go back. 
I gotta go back. All right, well, there's two in front of you. Coach Gay, I, I gotta go. I gotta go. I was like, no, you're not going. I'm gonna pee my pants, man. You gonna make me pee my pants? I was like, I'm, I can't, I'm not making you pee your pants. And so I was like, all right, you can go. And then finally, like, I just, I was like, this is getting out of hand. I guess I gotta stop it. This, so this one kid said, Coach Gay, I gotta go to the bathroom, man. I was like, no, you can't go. And he was like, mother. And he just went off on me in front of the whole class, cussing me, cussing me good. And at that time in my life, you did not, my paradigm was, mm-mm, mm-mm. And, uh, and, he, and, and all the kids are just like, you know, and so it's like, they're like, oh, He's serving Coach Gay, you know, like it just, so I took him out and uh, I just was like mm, boiling with anger and I was just like, oh, Jesus, help me. And so this kid's name was Chris and I don't know how I got this answer in the moment, but it was all Holy Spirit. I said, Chris, listen, man, because I, I just wanted to write him up. I didn't even want to talk about it. It's like a no brainer. Send him to the office, punish him. I just want to punish him, punish him good. Just let him know, you can't do that to Coach Gay. You can't do that to Coach Gay. And anybody who does that to Coach Gay is going to get the same. And uh, that's what I wanted to do and show my authority. But I said, Chris, listen. I had, this was getting out of hand. I was like, you know as well as I do that people just wanted to get out of class. I said, now, I don't mind you disagreeing with me. You, and I said, and I realized that the way you talk, that may be normal life for you. That may be the way that your parents talk. That may be the way your friends talk. And you can do that anytime. You can talk that way anytime you want to outside of fourth period. But when fourth period comes, I need you to change the way you talk. So you can disagree with me. You can say, Coach Gay, I really need to go to the bathroom, and I don't think it's fair. I'm totally fine with that. But you can't go off like you just did. Do you understand? He's like, yes, sir, Coach Gay. I said, all right, go to the bathroom. Came back. That kid was like my best friend the rest of the semester. And it was, I was just, and when I sent him off to the bathroom, I was just like, I lost. I lost. Because it was about winning. Who wins that argument? Who wins? Who shows the kid his place? But I, t- I had to take shame upon myself. I, have to, I had to be willing to live. You know, the, the kids were just like, oh, man. I mean, he was cussing me out in front of the whole class. And I was just like, hmm. And I didn't even t- address the class by it. And it was hard. But it was like I, d- I had to j- I step back into Jesus and he showed up literally in that space but it's the same it's the same thing jesus takes your the shame and teaches you another way you anoint my head with oil my cup overflows so this is referring to anointing in in relation to hospitality perfumed oil was usually used for this so david's describing a public meal that his enemies are observing no stone is being left unturned to make sure the guest are being welcomed and honored. And it says, David's cup is overflowing. He says, my cup overflows. And the picture is servants who are so eager to serve that the moment Daniel drinks his wine glass, there's a servant like, oh, filling it back up. And he's, the moment he drinks, he's like, you know, and it's the servant. It's just like God's so eager to overflow your cup. He wants your cup overflowing. How else does your cup at a banquet overflow? Unless you're just not, you're just like, yeah, man, I mean, the other day. And, but you know, there's servants, just like God's heart is just like, God gave his servants directions like, listen, the moment his glass drops down, you fill that sucker back up. Oops. 
So goodness and loving kindness follow me and I dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The shepherd would lead the flock and he also had helpers that would sometimes follow behind the flock. And his helpers are goodness and mercy to make sure you don't get lost. And I just, I love that picture. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, so that I may take it again. No one has taken it from me. This is good. But I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. So I want you to stand up. And uh, one of the things I want us to do this morning is I just want us to repent for anything that we thought we needed outside of God. Drake, if you come on up. Is there anything that, we're, you know, I've, I've had these things in my life, you know, there was one point in my life I, I thought I needed a house. I thought that's what you did when you got started having kids. You got to have a house. It's not, sometimes that happens. But at the time, it's not what the Lord wanted. So is there anything that, you think you, you thought that you needed, it could be, man, I need, I need a girlfriend. I need a wife. I need a husband. I need a job or whatever. You do need those things, but they're not first. You know what I'm saying? You don't necessarily need a wife or a husband. But being willing to take shame upon yourself or to be misunderstood in order to love someone. If you really believe the Lord is your defender, there's going to be times where somebody accuses you of something, misunderstands you, misrepresents you, and you don't defend yourself. It's, I've known many people that have done that. We've, Jessica and I have done that before, where you're just like, this is you, Lord. I don't have to defend myself. I don't have to be right. So let's just take a moment. Father, show us anything that we thought we needed outside of you. Any false comforts, Father? Even needs to be cool Christians. We're, We're afraid of being labeled something else. forgiveness from him it's over just as easily as you stepped into that thing you can step out Father I pray that we'd be willing to take shame upon ourselves to love people to be misunderstood in order to love people Father I pray that we would rather have relationship than being right Lord, that we don't have to uh, defend ourselves, God. That you are a defender, you are a fortress. We just want to love people well, Father. We want to love them and.
grace and truth, gentleness, goodness, God, faithfulness.